Welcome to America now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Cracks in the wall was the headline on Fox News. Restive Dems amplify calls for impeachment. That on the Hill. Buck Sexton here with you all day long, my friends. Just one uh, over-the-top, overreaching, hysterical, not in the funny sense, approach to this administration, reproach of the administration, all this criticism, all this uh, grandstanding and self-righteousness and uh, so much self-gratitude and uh, self-gratifying commentary for the pundit class on how uh, you know, it's just all, it's all supposed to come apart now, they're saying. Um, it's all supposed to be the end of the line for the Trump administration, and it's just crazy talk. Uh, this has reached, it's been there for a while, I, I can't even say it's reached. This is a a point of uh, pathology now. It's a psychological disorder, Trump hatred has infected minds. It's gone to a place now where the disconnect from reality is unavoidable. Um, It is clearly detectable, and now what do we do about it? Um, I know that the administration's had a tough week, and that's led to all of the Trump haters coming out and saying that this is a disaster. Now, this is not to say that there haven't been mistakes made, Clearly, when you give openings like the anti-Trump opposition has had in the last few days, uh, you're giving them too much to work with. And this White House is giving them too much to that too much to work with. That doesn't mean that they're playing fair. It doesn't mean that they're uh, being honest arbiters of facts and truth. But it just means, you know, don't make the enemy's job easier than it has to be. Um, Because when you do, you get just one long series of, oh gosh, here, I'm just going to, I'm not going to waste too much time on what they're saying because, you know, impeachment, treason, obstruction, all these big words from Democrats and their media allies, or is it their media, uh, who who is in charge of whom? Uh, The Democrats are in charge of the media, the media is in charge of the Democrats, I don't know, you can make a case either way. But uh, here we go. Here's uh, Stephanopoulos, former Clinton White House staffer. Here's what he had to say. I hope you can let this go is what the notes say. Those seven words could be Trump's smoking gun. Comey's notes the modern equivalent of Nixon's tapes. Congress will get them. Whether Trump holds the White House will depend on how Comey describes those notes, who Congress believes, how the country responds. Less than four months into the Trump presidency, we are watching, in the words of Republican Senator John McCain, a Watergate-sized crisis play out in real time. 
who, who does McCain think he helps with these statements? What is the purpose of John McCain always being the one who's so willing to come out and give the Democrats exactly the Republican soundbite they want, bashing other Republicans? It doesn't seem constructive. It seems, uh, it seems selfish to me, at least. It seems like it's politically unhelpful um, for those who are on the right. Uh, there's any number of... You, know, I mean, you, you could just you, if you opened up a computer today, went online, looked at any news sites, if you turned on any cable news all day long, it was uh, a sense of of shock and oh my gosh, what are we going to do? It's all going to come apart. Uh, here we go. Here's one of the more revered. But I always love the uh, the difference between a a political analyst and a commentator at a place like CNN. Political analyst is their way of saying you get to share your opinions. But we think you're worthwhile and smart, so you're a political analyst. Commentator is, yeah, he's like some some guy, you know, yelling out at the carnival or something. I mean, he's a, he's a clown, he's a joke, you know. Commentator, whatever. You know, uh, pl- you know if, if you, oh, if you're a conservative commentator, then you've already been you've been marked and cast aside. Uh, but uh, Gergen is over there as a. I've never heard the guy say anything interesting in my life. I will just I'll say it. And this guy's at CNN. I've been on I've been on at least I think one or two panels with him. Never heard him say anything interesting in my life. But they love him over there. Uh, here's what he had to say about all this. I think we're in impeachment territory now really? for the first time. Well, I think that the obstruction of justice was the number one charge against Nixon mm-hmm. that brought him down. Obstruction of, of justice was the number one charge against Bill Clinton, which led to his indictment in the House. He, he won in the Senate. Um, and I think. I'm, I'm a lapsed lawyer. I cannot tell you what it meets all the legal definitions, but I can tell you from a lay point of view, it looks like he was trying to impede the investigation. Mm-hmm. He was using his power to do that, and when James Comey didn't go but along he, with But him, we've already been told boy. by the FBI that there was no impeding of the investigation. In fact, it was the deputy uh, of, of Comey's acting director, uh, McCabe, who came out and said that, yeah, uh, this, was, this was not a problem. The investigation had not been impeded. That was... Not true. Um, Republicans, by the way, are not much better today on this. A lot of them are are running for cover. Uh, All kinds of stories out there about how Republicans who usually if there's a camera, they're there. There are plenty of members, particularly in in the House, plenty of members of Congress with an R next to their name who are just like, really? I get to go on TV? You know, they run, run for the cameras right away. But now they're running away from the cameras. They don't want to be in a position to have to even speak about this. I'm not saying they should all be defending it, but they shouldn't act like they're they're a bunch of frightened little kids. You know, th- th- this isn't a, a campfire boogeyman story and they have to cover their ears and run away for fear of being subjected to the, the terrors that will come. They should be able to handle this. Um, you got Paul Ryan, who I, I, I like, I, I'm always two minds about Paul Ryan. Everyone says he's such a nice guy, and I believe that, and, and a good dude, an honest dude, don't think he's doing a very good job as Speaker of the House, but he's not, not a bad guy. He's, in fact, from I'm told, he's, he's, a pretty, he's a good guy. But that doesn't mean he always does a good job, and it doesn't mean that I agree with where he's going on some of this stuff. And I remember after the Access Hollywood tape of Trump came out, Ryan was one of the harshest critics of it. You know, I figured, okay, well, he's clearly go- Trump's clearly going to lose, so I might as well run for the exits now. Uh, here's what Ryan had to say about the—remember, yesterday this memo comes out. 
Big Report, New York Times, Washington Post. James Comey, former FBI director, writes a memo saying that Trump told him, I hope you can get past the Flynn, you know, get past this with regard to the General Flynn investigation. You know, I want to get into the overcriminalization of everything, including now speech in a few minutes. I think we should go there. And and the weaponization of the law that is an obsession of the left right now, the Democrats, they do this all the time. And it's a really troubling trend. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. But I, I want to just get through some of the news of the day with you here first, because this has been all day. This is what's been dominant. We, we can't talk about anything else in this country other than the latest accusation of criminal wrongdoing against the president of the United States. Keep in mind that everything on Russia that we've been told so far, all of the Russia allegations and the Russia stories are supposed to be additional data points for the overall allegation that the president of the United States is a traitor, has committed treason, in fact, and they're hoping to find evidence of that. Now, even in the absence of evidence, they're just going to continue to say that Trump is a traitor, which I should note is a truly horrifying thing to say about somebody, Uh, to say that they would betray their country, especially someone who's entrusted with the nuclear codes and and is the chief executive and the commander-in-chief, you would think that they'd be a little slower to throw around that accusation. I could say that in my years in media with the Obama administration doing all kinds of dishonest uh, nonsense and uh, politicizing the Department of Justice and running roughshod over the separation of powers and using the media uh, to bludgeon the opposition, you know, metaphorically. Uh, I never once said, you know, Obama, Obama's a traitor. I would have said he's a bad president. He's not as, he's not as clever and, and brilliant as much of the media says he is, not even close. But, you know, I, I wasn't walking around saying he's a traitor. We should throw him in prison for treason because there was, I, why would I say that? There was no evidence of it. And to say that is disgraceful when you don't have evidence right this is like they would be like the press walking around saying you know president trump is is a is a wife beater well you know does do we have any evidence of that no but we we know it's true we're, we let's keep an investigation ongoing into his wife beating uh update on the wife beating we, we've been asking people about it and we don't have any answers yet but we're still asking that's our update i mean these are the games that they're playing but they're playing it with with high treason right they're not just playing it with a, a, a criminal act that um, is much lower on the scale. I mean, treason is, as you know, under U.S. First of all, it's one of only three uh, criminal offenses mentioned in the Constitution, treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. Uh, but treason can be a capital offense. So media is all running around, you know, uh, colluding with each other, dare I say, and, and snickering over all of the, the foibles and problems of the Trump administration and trying to build a not just circumstantial, but in fact a conspiratorial case of treason against the president of the United States. And when they're not pushing for the treason case, we're being told it's the emoluments clause. When they can't get Trump on some alleged criminal activity that involves all kinds of new interpretations of law or very loose interpretations of existing statute, then they're going after you know Flynn on the Logan Act or they're going after someone else. The politicization of the prosecutor's offices is something that's been going on for a long time, and it was terrible under Obama, 
And now we see that it can work in reverse. Even when you have a Republican president, the media will try to create the pressure on prosecutors to act in a political fashion when it comes to our criminal justice system. Uh, But they're saying it's treason. What is more likely? Oh, wait, I I didn't even play. Sorry, I'm jumping around here because we got a lot to we'll we'll get into this this hour. And we've got a lot of fantastic uh, guests that will be joining throughout the show on topics that aren't just Trump, by the way. Don't worry. We're not going to be like every other, every network news show tonight, I can promise you. It's about Trump. Did he obstruct justice? Did he not obstruct justice? You know, the back and forth. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Do I know anything? No, I don't. But I'm on TV, so I'll talk. I mean, that's what you'll see on most, if not all, of the channels that will be covering this tonight. Uh, a lot of, oh, but, you know, Trump is a traitor. No, I love Trump. Okay, well, this is not this is not educating anyone in a meaningful sense, and this is not advancing uh, the political discussion. Uh, here's a Ryan. <laughs> so I'm a Republicans running for cover, and I didn't even get, I didn't let Paul Ryan uh, get into this at all. Here's what he said earlier today. We need the facts. It is obvious there, there are some people out there who want to harm the president, but we have an obligation to carry out our oversight regardless of which party is in the White House. And that means before rushing to judgment, we get all the pertinent information. Uh, The House Oversight and Government Reform Committee has appropriately requested this memo. uh, And I'm sure we're going to want to hear from Mr. Comey about why, if this happens as he allegedly describes, why didn't take action at the time. So I want to get into that, by the way, because you'll hear much more of this in the days ahead. The, well, Comey is criminally criminally liable for not reporting this if, in fact, there was criminality here. I'll get that's I think that's a self-defeating argument. It's not a worthwhile uh, path to pursue. I'll, I'll get into why I'm not just going to make that blanket statement, but I'll, I'll go there in a, a few minutes. Uh, but here's my main takeaway for today. Um, while all of this is happening and there's so many distractions and the hyperbole is <laughs> the the exaggerations are hard to exaggerate. The hyperbole is at a saturation point. There's so much of this out there now. It's everywhere. And they're saying, oh, he should be impeached. Oh, we're going to find out he's a traitor. Let me just say that don't give up. Don't give up yet. Um, Don't allow them to browbeat you into giving up either. Endurance is not something you hear about often outside of the confines of certain very uh, difficult, arduous sporting events, right? But Endurance in politics, just like endurance in in life, is an essential characteristic. Uh, We knew that the Trump agenda and everything that he was going to try to accomplish, irrespective of his personal failings and flaws and mistakes, which are plentiful and I am aware of them and you know about them too, irrespective of all of that, we knew that this would be a disruptive act, this presidency, and therefore people would fight it tooth and nail everything that they have and that means that you're not you're not going to be able to get through this without unbelievable ferocity in the pushback and they're going to try to take down trump and everybody around him so there has there has to be a sense of endurance that we will be able to withstand this withering assault from the left and still pursue the agenda items because if we quit now what do we get Endurance, that is my clarion call for today, for all of us, myself included, because I have doubts. We all have doubts, but we need to be ready to endure. We'll hit a break. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. It's not expected that when I go on, because I have the benefit of being able to read throughout the day, see everything in the news cycle and try to bring you the most insightful, worthwhile distillation of what's going on in the world and also just bring you whatever research or stories I think are worth your time. It's not expected that I will often get to break news, given the time that I go on air. And yet here we are, <laughs> yet again, with a bombshell news story. Um, and earlier this week, I've been able to tell you about the Russia uh, overshare allegations and the Comey memo. And now here we are, late in the day, a special prosecutor has been appointed former FBI director um, Robert Mueller has been appointed by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. This is from CBS News to serve as special counsel to oversee the previously confirmed confirmed investigation of Russian efforts uh, to influence the 2016 presidential election and related matters. I have determined that a special counsel is necessary in order for the American people to have full confidence in the outcome, Rosenstein said in a statement. <sighs> Look, I, I think this is a mistake. Um, I think that the Department of Justice could have handled this. Uh, just uh, Let me just step back for a second. You will notice that under the Obama administration... The notion of a special prosecutor for the Hillary email investigation was never really talked about in any serious fashion, right? It was going to be handled in-house at DOJ, and Loretta Lynch would have final say. Loretta Lynch, who, as we all know, met with the husband of the target of the most prominent federal criminal investigation in the country at the time into Hillary's email practices. Loretta Lynch met with the husband days before the FBI director strangely stood before the American people, usurped the usual prerogative of the attorney general, and said there would be no, that, that no prosecutor, reasonable prosecutor, would bring charges, so there will be no charges. But you'll notice the Obama DOJ did not offer up a special prosecutor. They did not let this get out of, yes, that's right, what was effectively Democrat control. And a Democrat president's appointed attorney general was going to have final say over Hillary's fate. Now, I understand the argument, and many of my friends who are conservative in the never-Trump side of things, and I respect them greatly as people and as intellectuals in, in a majority of cases— um, they're going to say, Buck, because the other side plays dirty doesn't mean that we should, too. Buck, because the other side uh, uses the law as a weapon, it doesn't mean we should take extraordinary measures to blunt that weaponization. And I would just say this. Appointing a special prosecutor to look into the Russia, Russia investigation will not end well. What do I mean by that? Well... You're going to have to stay with me to find out. 844-900-BUCK. If you've got thoughts on this special prosecutor, light them up, and uh, we will be right back.
The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back. We are in the midst of a troubling epidemic where our political opponents want us locked up for disagreeing with them. This is deeply unsettling as law enforcement is an immensely immensely powerful part of government and it is the one best positioned by far to destroy an individual's life. No matter how famous, rich, or connected one may be, if the political winds shift against you and federal agencies come after you, it is likely your life is ruined, even if, in the end, you triumph in court. This is true even for Trump or his top people, and the left knows it. I wrote that earlier today on uh, BuckSexton.com when I was uh, pulling together all the various news uh, stories and uh, the the latest and the leftist narrative from earlier in the week. And that was before the special prosecutor was appointed. I think those words are uh, unfortunately going to look prophetic in the months ahead. Special prosecutors um, are under immense pressure to show results. Results, let me tell you this right now, uh, do not include the absence of charges against somebody tied to the Trump administration. That will not fall under the broad category of results uh, for Democrats and the media. Someone's going to have to go to prison for something. If it's a procedural violation, say lying to the FBI during a a sit-down with them or uh, you know, someone charges somebody with obstruction or, you know, any number of things. But they're going to have to get somebody. And when they get that somebody, whoever it is, it will be held up, no matter how flimsy the actual charge or offense may be, it'll be held up as, see, a special prosecutor was needed. And there's even more. He just didn't get it yet. Just to bring us all back up to speed here, the breaking news that just happened while I'm on air, of course, is that the former FBI director, uh, Robert Mueller, has been tapped to be the special prosecutor in the uh, investigation of Russian efforts to influence the 2016 presidential election and related matters. <sighs> this is this is a mistake. I know that I know Republicans and conservatives still. I respect them. They have principles, and I, I like to think I am one of them, and I like to think that I have principles, but. Uh, I, I worry here. Sometimes the Boy Scout wannabe attitude among conservatives runs into the uh, buzzsaw of win at all costs, anything in order to get it done attitude of Democrats. And it does not go well for us. It does not go well for our side. Um, I am very concerned here. Uh, I think that's fair to say um, because the the left plays dirty and they love to use the law to that end we now have a media establishment that is calling the president of the united states a traitor or at least implying or insinuating he's a traitor we have democrats saying the president should be impeached that he's committed think about this multiple criminal offenses this week alone now, I don't believe he's committed any criminal offenses, but the point here is that they're saying he's committed multiple criminal There's a, a Washington Post piece saying that even though Trump is the commander-in-chief, what he told the Russians may still have been criminal. Oh, okay. That's a legal analyst, by the way. That's, that's, just somebody, that's not somebody from the comment section who just hates Trump, although 
It's tough to tell the difference sometimes. What's more likely, everyone, that the president of the United States is committing felonies uh, that are that are found out on a regular basis while sitting in the uh, Oval Office or that the media has lost its mind? I, I think that's we're in that territory right now. That's where we are with all of this. Um, and that's why appointing a special prosecutor is not going to calm the critics in the least. It's not going to uh, shut down the anti-Trump machinery. And it's just now going to create a dark cloud that will hover over this White House and all attached to it. And who knows where this thing ends? Um, I know everyone's going to tell me that uh, Robert, former FBI Director Robert Mueller is a straight shooter and you know he's great and everything else. Uh, I know he's a career prosecutor. He's a Marine Corps veteran. That's all to the good. That's great. But the reality of a special prosecutor is that the pressure to do something to show the public that you haven't just been wasting everyone's time and money is immense. This will not in any way um, appease the Democrat media establishment against Trump. Appointing a special prosecutor just means that now there is no more straightforward DOJ chain of command for this. This is going external. In fact, I've got Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein's statement right here. He said, it is in the public interest for me. This is released today from the DOJ. It is in the public interest for me to exercise my authority and appoint a special counsel to assume responsibility for this matter My decision is not a finding that crimes have been committed or that any prosecution is warranted. I have made no such determination. What I have determined is that based upon the unique circumstances, the public interest requires me to place this investigation under the authority of a person who exercises a degree of independence from the normal chain of command, end quote. Why? That sounds sounds like a really interesting approach. Why didn't the Democrats do that with a Hillary email investigation again? Because they knew at the end of the day, it was going to come down to, that's right, a judgment call, which one should note, all prosecution, uh, all prosecutions are a judgment call. You can de- you can decline to prosecute anyone for anything if you, I mean, there, of course, could be some reprisals against your career as a prosecutor, or if you're, you know, the attorney general, you could get removed from office. But technically speaking, you can decline to prosecute anyone for anything. This is just that's just the the way that it is. And when there is a case that is a close call. The prosecutor that you have is, in a sense, a flip of the coin could go either way. Democrats knew the Hillary investigation could have gone either way. I'm one of the few who will tell you that for what she did even under a a stricter regime. She wasn't going to get multiple counts of the Espionage Act. She would have pled probably to one count of mishandling classified information, been stripped of her clearance, paid a hefty fine, something along the lines of what happened with Petraeus. That's what I believe would have happened even if they had decided to press charge. But that's still a criminal offense in a presidential election year that might have been a problem for Hillary Clinton. Now, what about ism? Meaning, what about that other thing? What about Obama? What about Hillary? I, I, I know it is a uh, far too easy excuse to reach for and can be a crutch when you want to defend an administration. You know, what about, what about, and now you get into, this is like I'm sitting down with 
you know, a, a bunch of, uh, well, I was going to say a bunch of school teachers who are like, two wrongs don't make a right. I know two wrongs do not make a right. But we are in the midst of what could be the most disruptive presidency in generations to an establishment that is increasingly devoted towards statism, right, towards the, the elite echelon in our society that also operates at the highest levels of government and lives by a different set of laws, different taxes for them, uh, different treatment for them, and all the rest of us just have to shut up and take it. If you're hoping that someone might end that cycle, no one in recent years has even put a dent in it. More spending, more government control, more politicization, losing the culture war on the right. No one's put a dent in any of that. Will Trump? I, I don't I hope so. I don't know. Maybe he can. Maybe it's too tall an order. Maybe nobody was capable of doing it. We should also remember that is a possibility here. Maybe the battle is too far lost. Doesn't mean we shouldn't fight it, but it might it might be over, my friends. We might be headed for a de facto one party state of Democrat control. But if you want to fight, I know before I was talking about endurance. Now I'm talking about fighting. Although endurance is necessary here, too. They better get re- They better be ready to endure. This special prosecutor is going to uh, be running all over the place in D.C. and giving a lot of people some very difficult sleepless nights. Not because they've done anything wrong, just because would you want to sit down with an FBI investigator and talk about every conversation you've had over the last year or two? Knowing that if if you mess up, based on what we saw with Scooter Libby, if you mess up, you might go to prison. Even if it's it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's immaterial. You might go to prison, and then the whole media will forget about the actual charge for that person t- uh, attached to the Trump administration and make it sound like oh well, they see he lied because treason, conspiracy, Russia collusion. Does does the lie prove any of that? No, but it doesn't matter. It's a criminal charge. It'll just feed the hysterical narrative. It'll feed the the Democrats Trump Russia pathology. It is a pathological condition. This is now a neuroses. This could be dealt with by a professional. But they've appointed a special prosecutor, something Democrats never did. And you'd have to ask, well, why was why were they wise enough not to do that in election year? But in the first months of the Trump administration, this perfect storm of pressure, and that's exactly what it is, this perfect storm of pressure this week has now pushed them to take the investigation into Russian Remember, this is all about Russia hacking the election and Russia and the and the Trump uh, team and collusion and all this. Now this is going outside the normal. De- Never mind the congressional investigations into it, which have subpoena power and the force of law. But no, no. Now they also can't even allow their own DOJ to do it, which I should note is an admission to the left that there are cracks, that there is a weakness here. I feel like this is a, a much overused, uh, much overused statement, but th- there is blood in the water now. And the sharks are circling. I mean, let's just play this analogy out. This is what's going on. People are going to say, oh, well, now it'll restore confidence in the American people. Restore confidence? The media's running around saying the president's a traitor and should spend decades in prison based on no evidence whatsoever. You think appointing a special prosecutor is going to make them our buddies? Uh once again, our, our, our sense, the sense of fair play that exists on the right, unfortunately, in our, in our current political environment, is a liability. I'm not saying that means play dirty all the time, but when, when we look at a situation like this where it's a judgment call, 
and you can either stay with the the DOJ you have, which is supposed to be letter of the law, nonpartisan, acting accordingly, or you're going to add another layer onto it of letting a special prosecutor run around and do things. I, I think this is just, it's going to be a mistake. It was a mistake. It was absolutely a mistake during the Bush administration. Um, all right. We're going to hit a break here, team. I'm sorry. I was, I was trying to, I was going to give an inspirational, you know, I was a soccer coach for a season. I know soccer. It's you guys, it's like not even American. Sorry. I wasn't a football coach. We don't have football here in New York city. Really? I mean, not, not in Manhattan at least. There's no fields for it. I was going to try to give an inspirational speech about endurance and the need to, and now I'm just like, yeah, I, I want to be like Leonidas leading the 300 into the pass at Thermopylae here. But uh, we're, I'm, be, I'm being told that our own side is like, yeah, let's like give some more arrows to the Persians. Just see what happens. Special prosecutor. Yeah, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, a lot of things can happen. Quick break. We'll be right back. I've got uh, Politico headline here saying Justice Department to appoint special prosecutor for Russia probe. L.A. Times also referring to a special prosecutor specifically. Um but now, uh, yeah, former FBI Director Robert Mueller named special prosecutor for Russian investigation. Um, but I'm seeing some some consternation on social media that a special counsel is different than a special prosecutor. Well, we got a lawyer joining us in a few minutes, so I'll I'll ask him. I'm I'm not a lawyer. The only stuff I tend to know about involves uh, in terms of law. Well, I've taught I taught myself. I'm an autodidact on the law. Um, let's take some, uh, calls here. we got time for a bit. Uh, Tom in Ohio on WWVA. What's up, Tom? Yeah, good afternoon, Buck. You know, first of all, I, I would say, and I've been saying it for a few days now, I think that they have two special prosecutors. One, uh, to investigate the Trump situation with any Russian ties. That, that they have to get behind them, certainly, so the administration go forward and so that they don't lose seats in the midterm. Then a second prosecutor to look into all the Democrat side of things. I mean, was there an illegal and coordinated effort to undermine the Trump administration by members of the uh, Obama administration, Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett, Ben Rhodes, and so forth, uh, who unmasked uh, uh, General Flynn, which was the only known felony that we know of for sure, uh, and, and were there others that were unmasked? And, and then possibly go back through the Obama administration, and if, if you know if there's warrant there in terms of the uranium deal and Hillary's server and the foundation and a pay for access. So, so you want more? You want more special prosecutors? Well, what I'm saying is that that I really think if they want to play this game where they wanted a special prosecutor, then fine, give it to them in spades. Uh, well, but I mean, the DOJ can certainly do the job of looking into Hillary's situation if they want to. I, I don't think there's any concerns about that. Well, but I mean, what I'm saying is I, I, I think that there is enough there on, on the plate of the Obama administration that uh, they shouldn't be uh, uh, complaining about Trump, who's only you know been there for a couple months. And at the same time, uh, you know as well as I do that Chuck Schumer and the rest of the Democrats are going to keep this in the front uh, if there isn't a special prosecutor. So let's have two of them. Uh, I, I don't like special prosecutors as a general rule unless there's a really pressing need for it. Um, we've already had Sessions recuse himself from this. I think that was enough. But all right, I hear you, Tom. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Greg in Oklahoma, iHeart app. What's up, Greg? Hey, Buck Shields High. Shields High. Uh, I was what I just wanted to, to point out that um, the story of Eldoron's 
um, thugs beating up protesters that were outside the White House and outside. Um, I believe that oh, uh, we've got we've got John Shanzer joining later. Uh, Dr. Shanzer is going to join us in the Foundation for Defense and Democracies to talk about that one. So uh, we'll, we'll get into it in some detail. Can can we hold off on that until we get the doctor on? Because I don't want to I don't want to preempt him right now. Not a problem. So for, for, the, for, the, for those who are wondering, don't go anywhere, Greg. We got a minute or two if you want. Uh, but for those wondering, there there was a. I, I mean, I don't advocate like looking at at violence that's real where people get a hit and stuff. But to know what's going on with this news story, you kind of got to watch the the video. And uh, yeah, there was a, a Turkish protest that got out of hand. Well, I should say no. I'm sorry. Erdogan's bodyguards got out of hand with a Turkish protest in D.C., I should note. Uh, anything else you might... Greg, what do you think about the special uh, special counsel, I'm being told to say now, not special prosecutor? Uh, I t- completely agree with you. This is completely playing into the Democrats' hands. And I think John McCain, uh, for his service in Vietnam, was obviously distinguished. But for the last, th- last 30 years, uh, he really hasn't done anything for anybody Um that I can make note of, especially veterans. I mean, the guy's been in Congress for 30 years and hasn't come close to, you know, fixing the VA. Maybe I don't, I don't know. And him just playing into everything that the Democrats want, going on TV at any chance he can, um, just to to be patted on the back about, hey, you're a good, you're a good boy. You can come on uh, and that sort of thing. Like you said, the special prosecutor, or whatever this situation is, is just gonna lead to somebody in the White House or somebody getting thrown under the bus, fed to the wolves, however you want to come to that conclusion. All right, Greg in Oklahoma, man. Thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. Shields high. Um, So we're going to delve into this a little more coming up here. We've got uh, David French, National Review, joining. He tends to be a little more critical of Trump and Trump's shortcomings. Then we've got Sean Davis, the Federalist. He's a little less likely to... um, cry out in indignation at uh, what well not then david uh, that wasn't he's a, he's a little more willing to say that what trump is doing is is not so terrible i think uh, well i'll let him speak for himself but the point here being we'll get different different perspectives on the trump issue and what's going on here including the special prosecutor big breaking news in this hour or special counsel we'll get into this distinction if it is a distinction with a difference and Everything else that's happening right now. Big breaking news. That's how we roll here in the Freedom Hut, my friends. Hour two is coming up. Stay with me. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are gold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Team, we're joined by David French. He is a senior writer for National Review. He's an attorney and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. He's also the author or co-author of several best-selling books, including most recently the number one New York Times best-selling Rise of ISIS, A Threat We Can't Ignore. David, great to have you back. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, we arranged for you to be on air live commenting with us on a pretty big breaking news story. So, you know, we, we try to Try to take care of our guests that way. Uh, you've got the appointment now reported in uh, Politico, L.A. Times, CBS, all over the place. Appointment of a special counsel to look into Trump-Russia election stuff. Uh, by the way, d- difference between special counsel and special prosecutor. Can you get into that a bit for us or just? Does yeah. It- well, a lot of people, when they think of uh, this sort of special prosecutor, they're thinking of like the Ken Starr style independent counsel. 
which doesn't that position doesn't really exist anymore. Um, that was a position that where essentially you had a, a prosecutor who didn't answer to anyone except for a, a panel of judges. Justice Scalia thought the whole position was constitutionally problematic, and I agree because it takes a prosecutor out of the executive branch of government. A special counsel is somebody who's appointed in extraordinary circumstances. They don't answer on a day-to-day basis, say, to the AG, or in this case, deputy AG, uh, but they are still under the rubric of the Department of Justice. So so the goal is to have a degree of independence without sort of creating a freestanding branch of the government that's outside of the norm, that's outside of the executive branch. So the special counsel can be fired or disciplined by the attorney general uh, because they're still within the DO. They're still under the auspices of the DOJ, uh, but they're it's like uh, you're 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 in the house, but you're outside the house. I mean, you're, you're, exactly. It's a, it's like one foot in, one foot out. So there's not this sort of day to day micro supervision, and they can you know if there's cause they can be fired. But it, so it's kind of a compromise between these independent councils that were created and really just could um, you know did these runaway investigations where they're only accountable to a panel of judges. But then also acknowledging their circumstances, extraordinary circumstances, when you might need to take a distinguished, independent outside voice and give them a degree of autonomy while they're still under the rubric of the DOJ. So it's not like this guy is now a rogue operator, but it is a distinguished, independent voice uh, who's going to have a high degree of autonomy. But within again, within the DOJ. All right. Now, what do you what do you think about this decision? Before you, you give me your answer, I just should say I'm. I'm dubious about it just because I think that once again, you know, de- Democrats are are, are pushing an, an all in on a narrative that I, that I don't believe is accurate about the treason and the Russia collusion. The DOJ should have been able to handle this. I can I actually think it might be decent for Trump, because if at the end of this thing, there's nothing, maybe that at least then takes some of the heat off the administration at the very top level. My concern, though, is that when you create a situation like this, there's a lot of political pressure we saw this with Scooter Libby, a lot of political pressure to just get somebody, right, to, to feed somebody to the beast from inside the White House. But what do you think? I think it's a really good development, and here's why. One, number one, I think that the way, the way things have been going, from the firing of Comey to the recusal of Devin Nunes, uh, w- there was a real concern that here we had this huge issue without a clearly identifiable sort of independently respected, independent voice. And they know the special counsel is not completely independent, but the closest thing that we've got to it, um, who's going to be able to render an opinion on this issue that's going to do more than any congressional committee, arguably, to put this issue to bed. And and it's going to take away a lot of the re- – a, a lot. think about how much of the public argument has been about we need a special counsel. We need a special counsel. Well, now, now there's one, and now it's going to be about – look, the politic, politics will still be in play, but now we're moving more towards the realm of law and evidence, and that's where this needs to be. And, and I think it's a good choice. I think it's a person who will take the job seriously. Uh, and and you know, look, I mean this is a, there's a lot of rumor and innuendo and, and anonymous leaking, and uh, but – there's smoke there as well, and we have to get to the bottom of all of this. And, and I think this is a positive development. It's, it's a, a guy who can reach conclusions that a majority of the reasonable people in the United States of America will likely be able to look at and say, hey, we've, we've 
left no stone unturned. We've taken a look at this issue. But if this continues, let's say, just for, oh, about a, about a year or so, which wouldn't be very long given how some of these investigations can, can drag out, uh, it seems to me that this creates a, a very—there I mean, are two ways to look at it, right? And I don't know which one will win out in terms of public perception, but this can either be see the Trump administration is taking this seriously and they're working to be ethical on this and they're good people who work for Trump and now the adults are in charge and, and all of that. That, that right. is certainly a possible outcome here. I also think, though, the way the media takes this is, see, we were right all along. Trump is Trump is so corrupt. The people around him couldn't take it anymore. They couldn't they couldn't hold off this assault anymore. And so they're they're effectively conceding his DOJ is politicized, that he can't be trusted. And oh, at the end of this, we're going to find out that he was doing Putin's bidding. I, I think that that could be even if it doesn't result in any charges, that could be very politically damaging going into the midterms. Well, I think yeah, there's certainly that possibility, but there's also a com- converse possibility, which is you have a guy who takes a serious look at this. Um, there is no further evidence of any problems that emerge, and democratic democratic sort of uh, conspiracy mongering is exposed. I mean, look, you know, we've we we've been down this road before, and it's now like a footnote to history. But there was a special counsel in in the context of the. Uh, as you were talking, Scooter Libby, but that that was supposed to be that was going to be Fitzmiss. Do you remember that? There you're going to see Carl Rove frog marched out of the White House. Yeah, that, that was the whole purpose of it. They thought they were going to they thought they were going to get Carl Rove. And it was a gigantic fizzle. I mean, a gigantic. Fizzle. Well, not not if you're Scooter Libby. <laughs> well, yeah, but if you are compared to the expectations, compared to the hype, um, this was this was, uh, you know, again, Scooter Libby. Uh, Scooter Libby was a victim of overzealous prosecution for sure. But when you talk about this, all of this talk about Fitzmiss and all of the talk about what this was supposed to do to the Bush administration, the gap between expectations and reality was absolutely extraordinary. So the 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 issue here, though, I mean, the fundamental problem that that, you know, nobody made Donald Trump hire Carter Page, Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn. (laughs) Nobody made him do that. And. And, you know, part of the problem is a lot of this, a lot of this is resting and a lot of the sort of feeling that people have that there's no there there is resting on this kind of irrational confidence in Carter Page, Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn. Now, I would be shocked. I would be out of fall out of my chair shocked if there was evidence that Donald Trump, the man Donald Trump was involved in collusion with the Russians. That would really, really surprise me. It would not surprise me if there was some sort of contact between, say, somebody like a Paul Manafort or a Carter Page or a Michael Flynn. And, I, you know, that wouldn't shock me. Uh, I, I still think that this collusion claim is, is not likely to be borne out. But let me just say I'm not willing to bank uh, my – I'm not willing to bank, bank my uh, – any sort of public credibility on the, on the assertion that Manafort, Page, and Flynn were all on the up and up. What uh, I guess I mean, I'd be asking to speculate wildly there and I'll, I'll avoid doing that. But I'm just wondering <laughs> what charge because, yeah, Manafort, I mean, Manafort, Page, but Page was a low level guy. The media has made Page out to sound like he was a much bigger oh, part right. of the uh, Trump world than, than he was. Manafort, though, you can't be the campaign manager. And I mean, I, I get that. Um, I just wonder what criminal charge they could be. I mean, this is I've always deconstructed it down 
to the level of what would collusion even what, why would collusion even be necessary? L- let's say Donald Trump was was the most violent, unethical presidential candidate in history and would do anything to win. Colluding with the Russians to hack into the DNC's email accounts doesn't make any <laughs> sense because they don't need his help. No. no, 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 of course not. I mean, and, and what you have, there's two elements here. Like there's a there's a counter espionage element, which is not a criminal investigation because the FBI is double hatted. It it does criminal investigations, but it also has a counter counter espionage counter espionage mission, which is not inherently criminal. And it could very well be possible that there were improper contacts with Russian intelligence that were not criminal contacts with Russian intelligence. And that kind of and that would be sort of like your political nightmare scenario in a way, because you would have this this situation where you'd say Republicans going, well, I mean, sure, the campaign chair for Trump was talking about to so and so about the timing of a WikiLeaks release. Um, but it's not a crime, <laughs> and uh, and Democrats would be losing their minds over it. And so uh, that that kind of scenario, in, in some ways, even strikes me as sort of the most politically brutal, because you would have uh, you would have contacts that would cause Republicans, if the shoe were on the other foot, to utterly lose their minds. But then you'd see Republicans are reduced to saying, "Well, sure, he may have been talking to a Russian intel agent, but." It wasn't a crime. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that, that's what we had. That's what the Democrats went with with Hillary the email, right? I mean, sure, she had yeah. a lot of classified on her server, but I mean, they didn't charge her, right? So Yeah, yeah, and that really worked well for them. No, it, it, it did not. I agree, but I'm just saying, you know, yeah. this is this is the uh, the interesting political period in which we find ourselves. We're speaking to David French. He's a senior writer for National Review and an attorney and a veteran. Uh, tell me about this. Why we love and need The Rock? I, let, let's just <laughs> let's all give ourselves a breather here and have a little fun. Uh, why do we love and need The Rock? Yeah, you know it's funny. It's a great segue actually because the point I make. I wrote this cover story for National Review uh, that the point I make is when we're in hyper polarized times like we are, and, and honestly, in my adult lifetime, I don't remember it being worse polarization. We kind of need to be able to have a political fun. And, and I, I highlighted The Rock because he's arguably the world's greatest celebrity at this point. He's got a social media following that's almost 100 million people bigger than Donald Trump's. And he happens to be doing celebrity right, that he happens to be focusing on entertaining, focusing on spi- inspiring people in an apolitical way, for example, supporting veterans and, and giving back to his community and to, and to, you know, and to the fans. And what I thought was great about that was it's such a contrast in many ways like that his movies, his persona is such a refreshing contrast to the hyper politicization of our celebrities that I thought it deserved a round of applause. But I end it, I end it by saying, you know, be careful, Mr. Rock, <laughs> because if you start to think about running for president, all this could go away and then you would be in a fray. You would be in the war. You would be in the battle, and a lot of this, uh, this, this, this movement that he's built, or this persona that he's built—that's one of the few places where Americans can agree and kind of agree on somebody that they like. That will start to go away, and he might have a better use as a apolitical celebrity than as a very political candidate. I, I can't imagine, and this is just what I think of as you're saying this, because I. Have had many days where I'm like, why would Trump do this? Meaning, why be president 
you put yourself and your family through so much, and it, it is it, it's, for a Republican, it's a largely thankless job. It feels like at right. least these days, uh, and especially if you're a billionaire celebrity who gets to play golf and hang out and do whatever he wants, or or, or you're <laughs> the Rock and you just get to generally be awesome. I feel like stay with generally awesome. Don't run for office. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially in in, in uh, Trump was polarizing even before he ran for president. I mean, remember he, you know, he was running around with the birther stuff and he was very engaged, you know, threatening to run for president for a while. So he was more polarizing than The Rock. I mean, The Rock gets to do things like, you know, be in movies where he shoots down attack helicopters with a minigun and uh, declare to declare to the people he's rescuing, woman, I am the cavalry. I mean, you know, if that was my career, I, I would be sorely tempted to stay in that making uh you know being being one of the world's most popular actors versus entering this kind of fray because look the bottom line is politics isn't necessarily the highest and best use of of every single person and it's not the case that somebody's celebrity however they earn it is worthless unless they use it for political ends, which sort of seems to be the way the left talks these days. So you're telling now, me, David, there's still hope for me. There's still time for me to become Chef Buck. <laughs> Just forget about all this stuff. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> all right. David French, everybody. National Review. Check out his latest on nationalreview.com. Give him, give him a follow on, uh, on Twitter. And, uh, David, thank you so much for joining. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, team, quick break. Uh, I will be right back. Millions of people right now are frustrated, anxious, and they are trapped. But they're right here in the United States, and all they want to do is protect their homes. Well, why are they so frustrated? Well, the options out there right now for home security involve signing long-term contracts, letting strangers into your home, and figuring out how to use some overly complicated technology. It's ridiculous. But there's a better way, my friends, a simple way to protect your home and family. It's called Simply Safe home security and it's simple you just go online and a few clicks your simply safe home security system is on its way it'll just take a few days and then it'll be on your doorstep an hour after that your home is surrounded with 24 7 professional protection so go to simplysafe.com slash buck now to get my special 10 percent discount but hurry this discount won't last long that's simplysafe.com slash buck for 10 percent off your simply safe home security system simply safe dot com slash buck um so uh check that out my friends now let's talk a bit about whew, the by the way i didn't mention this before i meant to russia is we, we got putin saying i shouldn't say russia although putin russia uh are inextricable these days um but uh putin says that he has a transcript i believe I was saying this earlier today. Putin is saying that he has, uh, Putin has offered to provide Congress with details of Trump's disclosures to the Russian envoys. I, I kind of wish there was a way, um, a way that we could see this, because I want to know, um, I want to know whether what Trump said was as bad as the media was pretending it was or whether it was, you know, stuff that's in the newspapers. One of the most annoying things about our current national security, you know, secrets regime 
uh, the way that it, the way the current national security law operates, the way the agencies deal with it, is that they'll even think they'll even say that when I say common knowledge, I don't mean that some people know it somewhere. I mean like front page of the newspaper, like well, we 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 can't confirm or deny. You know, it's like well, at a certain point, if everyone thinks something is in fact true. Uh, are we still going to act like it's class? Now the sources and methods can remain classified, but we're still going to act like the thing that everyone thinks is true is classified. It, it can be untenuous at times, or it can be uh, problematic, to say the least. Um, and so I, I don't know whether what Trump said in this meeting or not was the kind of stuff that only those who are in the uh, intelligence community and who are kind of uh, uh, well overly uh, zealous in their interpretation of what can be considered sensitive or if this was in fact like a big blunder i know there's a lot of reporting that says it was a big blunder and he shouldn't have done it and everything else I, I don't know i would be very curious to see myself uh what was what, what what the contents truly were but here's what the washington post is reporting russian russian president vladimir putin said wednesday he'd be willing to provide the u.s congress a record of president trump's meeting with top Russian Russian envoys, bringing scoffs on Capitol Hill that the Kremlin could help shed light on the disclosures of reportedly highly classified intelligence. Uh, and here's, of course, what the Democrat Adam Schiff said about this. And I, I find it absolutely extraordinary that you have Vladimir Putin vouching for the president of the United States about a meeting that took place in the Oval Office. Uh, it's just really beyond belief. And... Uh, uh, but but that's the problem. It's not that it's never appropriate to share information. Uh, uh, we share information, you know, where we have a strategic interest in doing so. And it doesn't appear that there was any strategic thought given to the sharing of this information. Well, if it's if it's strategic interest, guess what? The commander in chief does get to determine what is in the strategic interest. So there's that. Uh, and also, I think that the uh, McMaster, I know people say his denials were lawyerly and everything else, but. I think if McMaster really believed that this was a a huge a huge mess, um, that we would be hearing more about it than we have uh, from him. Uh, we'd be or we'd be hearing very differently about it than we have thus far. Post peace continue. Washington Post piece continues here. The provocative offer for the Kremlin to share evidence with U.S. oversight committees about the Oval Office meeting came with the caveat that the request for the transcript would have to come from the Trump administration. Um, so there you go. Presenting a transcript is the Kremlin's latest gambit in denying that Trump shared classified secrets last week with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Russia's ambassador to the United States during an Oval Office meeting. Uh, man, I, I, they're, they're not going to take the Kremlin up on this one, I'm, I'm guessing, but uh, I would be so curious to see what it was, e even if they had to redact a little bit of it. But I guess if they had to redact it, then we know that, that was kind of a problem. Um, but, you know, you never know. The government, uh, you can, you know, you go and you read some of these books by, you know, former government uh, employees with, with security clearances. And you're just like trying to, you know, people I know in their minds are trying to fill in the blanks sometimes. And they think to themselves, is, does the government just overclassify everything? Um, and the answer to that is yes, by the way. It overclassifies as a matter of habit, not everything, but as a matter of habit. Um, but yeah, Putin made the offer. Um we're going to get uh, joined by Sean Davis of The Federalist with much more. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are gold. 
The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Welcome back, team. We've got our buddy Sean Davis on the line. He is a co-founder of The Federalist. You can read his latest at thefederalist.com. Mr. Davis, good to have you, sir. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So how, how how depressed should Republicans be today? How big a deal is all this stuff we're seeing? You got the Comey memo, the the Russia disclosure allegations, all this stuff. What do you make of it, Sean? Uh, so I take a different stance, and I think the uh, thing you'll get from the Beltway groupthink, Acela Corridor, Echo Chamber. Um, I see all this, and I think, you know what? If there's any chance some of it's true, maybe it could be a big deal. But I don't really have much faith that it is because I have seen this movie over and over and over again. I mean we saw it just a couple days ago from the Washington Post breathlessly reporting that James Comey had a meeting with Rod Rosenstein, the deputy AG. He had asked for more money for Russia, and he was smacked down, and then days later he was fired. And then like that same day, a DOJ comes out and says, you know what? That's, that's total garbage. That never happened. You're doing it entirely on anonymous sourcing. We're all on the record. Uh, the thing blew up that afternoon, and then the press pretends like that never happened. And then they move on to their next big scoop based on anonymous leaks, the Russia thing. Okay, well, McMaster comes out and smacks that down. And so now I guess we're supposed to have our hair on fire about uh, this alleged Comey memo. Um, and, and we're supposed to trust, one, that it exists, and two, um, that, of course, everything that, that he put in it is the 100% truth because James Comey, my goodness, he's the last honest man on earth. What, what reason would he ever have to shade the truth or maybe mischaracterize something that did or didn't happen? I, I find the whole thing so tedious and so ridiculous how the D.C. group just gets uh, so caught up every day. You know, you know, now the New York Times is talking about impeachment or the 25, 25th Amendment. Yeah, I saw that, the, the Ross Douthat piece uh, saying that, that Congress should determine – that Trump is unfit for office and just have him removed, which would kind of be a beltway coup. Yeah, I, I don't I don't understand. I feel like we're watching like a collective mental breakdown where a large group of people have just decided they don't like this reality. And so they're going to craft their own. And so their their new plan, you know, after, remember when the broker convention was going to happen? Oh, uh, we're going to beat Trump at the broker convention. And then the Axis Hollywood dropped. Oh, my goodness. Trump may drop out. He's going to drop out. Like they, these people seem very intent on losing the same battles they've already lost over and over again. Okay, Trump is president. Uh, if you didn't like him, fine, uh, but he won, and you didn't, and he's president, and you need to get over it because this stuff that you're doing now is bad for the country. It's bad for America, and you need to get a freaking grip. And the the whole Comey memo situation, I should note that, that to me. Uh, if if we're going to start giving people a pass like Hillary for intent, and and, and we're going to be uh, giving the benefit of the doubt to some when it comes to the you know, when it comes to the law or even perceptions of what may be illegal, I, so the guy said, uh, "I hope you can find your way past this." I mean, not great if he said it, but also not criminal. No, and and remind keep keep in mind by the way that just weeks before this you know alleged private meeting between Trump and Comey. Uh, the FBI had put out word that they found zero wrongdoing uh, by Flynn in the whole uh, FISA-Russia transcript thing, which, by the way, itself was a crime. The fact that we even know that transcript existed uh, or that there was a wiretap, that, that by itself is a crime. But the FBI said, you know what, no, there, there's nothing here. We looked into it. There's nothing. 
Um, you know, maybe Trump reads the papers. Maybe he talks to people, and maybe he sees, you know what, this thing is a farce, and he says to Comey, you know what, it's time to move on. Can, can we get back to doing, like, real work? Uh, you know, we know a crime happened with the leak. Maybe you work on that. There, there's an actual crime we have there. If that was the substance of the conversation, I'm sorry, I don't care. But if Trump went in there and, you know, he threatened him, if you don't shut this thing, I'm going to fire you. How, how dare you? You must pledge your undying loyalty to me and, and bow prostrate before me. No, I'd have a problem with that. But so far, we don't have any evidence that actually happened. We just have somebody reading over the phone something that he alleges is a memo that Comey allegedly wrote after an alleged event when Trump allegedly said something. Sorry, I- I'm not getting worked up over that ridiculous game of telephone. We're speaking to Sean Davis, uh, who writes for The Federalist, where he's a co-founder. Check out his latest at thefederalist.com. Uh, Sean, back to the, the, the 25th Amendment, if, if I can, for a moment here. So the, the the Republicans, the conservatives, columnists, congressmen, all of the above, who are advocating for either at least the possibility of impeachment or, in the case of the 25th Amendment, just the outright removal of, of the president, uh, is, are we allowed to just say at some point that these people don't have credibility? I mean, because if they're going to keep saying it after this week, OK, that's their position. But I feel like we're getting too used to people who this week it's impeach Trump because that's where the news cycle is. But next week it's, yeah, let's go. For, I'm a Republican. Let's go forward with the agenda again. Well, which is it? You're, they, these people should be mocked and laughed out of uh, polite society uh, because it is so ridiculous. Like, really, we're going to get, uh, I, what was it, half the cabinet, two-thirds of the cabinet to declare Trump mentally unfit, and then we're going to have two-thirds of Congress come in and do it based off an amendment that was basically put in to make sure if the president, you know, uh, under general anesthesia for a colonoscopy, uh, that we have some sort of plan in place. Well, we're going to pretend that that's like our new impeachment fail-safe. And just as a matter of tactics, picking that over impeachment is so dumb. These hurdles are so much higher for this new cockamamie plan that they have to get rid of Trump than they are for just plain impeachment. I mean, I don't understand what world these people are living in. It makes no sense. They have had a complete mental break with reality, and I hope they all seek help. Well, I think the pressure is certainly getting to some uh, members of Congress on the GOP side, and they— they, they want to have uh, they want to have a hedge. Uh, they they want to have a as you said a fail safe in place here, uh, but also they, they they figure that they should stay stay away from the heat while they can. And we've seen a lot of reporting about how nobody will t- speak on behalf of Trump or uh, nobody will go on TV. And usually, as you know, a lot of these guys it's confusing: are they members of Congress or are they cable TV pundits? Uh, but there's been a, a notable absence of some of the the usual suspects from the from the airwaves. And I feel like the uh, the very clear indu- individual advancement policies of some of these members of Congress is just being laid bare for all of us. Well, so my number one rule of thumb for dealing with politicians, especially Republican politicians, is that they're all just complete bedwetting cowards. So they're going to go with whatever they think the news cycle goes with. And, and a good example of this was the Access Hollywood thing. This whole episode we're seeing now is like a shot-for-shot remake of what happened then. You have this big bombshell. Everyone freaks out. Suddenly, uh, Republicans don't even want to don't even want to be mentioned in the same breath as Trump. Pence is being asked if Trump is going to drop out. Uh, you know, maybe Mitt Romney's going to come in and save the ticket. And then, literally less than four months later, Trump is elected president. I mean, so uh, you know, when it comes to uh, Republican congressmen and how they're hedging their bets. 
um, I could not possibly care less about what they're doing or what they're thinking or how they're feeling. Um, they need to just, uh, you know, basically get a pair and grow up. And, you know, one thing that I feel like some of my fellow conservatives out there in, in media land are not taking into account is that let's just say that Donald Trump was impeached and removed from office or decided, you know what, I'd rather play golf and hang out and I'm, I'm done with this and resigns. In either of those scenarios, the, the, I think the storyline goes, oh, well, now we'd have Mike Pence and now order and dignity would be restored to the land. No, you just have everybody saying, well, Trump was illegitimate in the first place. Therefore, Pence is illegitimate. Therefore, we need to attack his administration just as much. This is feeding the crocodile, hoping it eats you last. It's not like Pence would quiet the critics. No, it's totally ridiculous uh, that that somehow they think they've convinced themselves in their delusion that if they can just get rid of Trump, we will go get we'll get to go back to 2003 or 2004 when everybody was all gung ho about invading countries we had no business being in and we were starting a bunch of wars we didn't need to be involved in. They think we go back to that world where everyone looks to Mitt Romney as the savior of the party. Uh, I, I don't know what they're thinking uh, when they assume that if Trump is gone, everything goes back to the way it was five years or ten years ago. No, Democrats remember booed God at their national convention. They literally booed God. This idea that somehow they're going to accept a President Pence post-impeachment and say, oh, well, good, we have an adult in there now. We can go back to just having good faith agreements about policy. It's total nonsense. Sean Davis of The Federalist, everybody. Read his latest at thefederalist.com. Uh, Sean, real quick, we got we got to run a break here. but uh, So you're not that worried about all this stuff. Next week, we'll be back to talking about other stuff. I mean, I, my lesson that I learned from 2016 is this: this stuff changes on a dime, and I'm not going to get freaked out and wet the bed just because a bunch of media people tell me I need to do that. I, I'm not playing the game. All right, Sean Davis, thank you very much, sir. Uh, phones are open, team, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Are you freaked out about all this? I'm guessing a lot of you probably aren't. Let's go into a break, and we'll hear from you when we come back. Melissa in West Virginia, WPTI. Hey, Melissa, what's up? Well, hey, how are you? But oh. I just wanted to speak on your last guest. Um, I have to agree with him. Hillary Clinton herself said that anyone who doesn't accept the results of an election is a danger to our democracy. Um, it just cannot be stressed enough that once the election has been completed... Uh, and the the president has been seated. Uh, at some point, you have to support your leaders uh, because anything left is strengthening and emboldening our enemies abroad, uh, which is one reason I find it so alarming that currently um, with the, the Comey memo and, and all of this tussle they've raised, uh, it's what an embarrassment um, that our president's first trip overseas uh, comes under this cloud of doubt that they brave. Uh, yeah. Melissa, I'm, I'm reminded actually, and uh, apologies for the self-promotion here for a second, uh, in uh, response to your astute point, but on BuckSexton.com, I wrote that those who think that President Trump is a traitor would be well reminded uh, that the reckless rhetoric they use and their intent to paralyze this White House with it is eagerly welcomed by our enemies around the world. They should give that some thought before plopping out another screed on TV or in print about how Trump and his enablers are in the midst of some grand treasonous plot. 
There is still no evidence to support that. It's nonsense and it's shameful. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. At some point, those who are saying our institutions are being undermined and look at how terrible this all is, they're actively undermining all of our institutions. Yes, what, what excellent points. I probably need to go visit your website. <laughs> there uh, you go. We you can know, turn this into a commercial, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, Melissa, I, I agree. Go ahead. As a product of the 70s, I was raised to be very alarmed and wary of the Russians as a whole. Um, and I, can I just say that I was floored today when Putin stepped up and said, well, hey, I'll give you the transcript. Um, just big-eyed alarm at that. <laughs> Don't know how to um, do anything but be alarmed. Yeah, well, with, for Trump, with, with friends uh, like that, you know, I got to say, I don't know. Um, yeah. Melissa, thank you for yeah. calling in from West Virginia. I appreciate it. Uh, Chantel in Mississippi. What's up, Chantel? Hey, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for calling in. I was calling because I was listening, and I was thinking, you know, Trump got elected because he was an outsider, because he wasn't a politician. And now all these politicians are not standing up for him and not being there for him and not supporting him. And if anything, they're actually proving the reason he got elected, you know, that he doesn't want to play ball with them, and that's why he got into the office in the first place. So at this point, all they're doing is making his supporters go, yeah, see, he's not listening to you guys either. Um. Yeah, I mean, so you, you think that the people that the the people that have supported Trump all along aren't phased by any of this. But, uh, you know, I, I do worry when we see Republicans in the Congress running for cover to the to the degree that they have been. It's it's fair to be concerned about that, I think. Well, it's fair to be concerned. I'm not saying I'm not concerned. I'm not actually a Trump supporter. I'm saying that them running for cover is really just proving what Trump's been saying all along is that he's an outsider, that he is there for the people. He's not there to play the political game. So them running for cover, in a way, is kind of saying that, yeah, he is an outsider. Uh, I see. So you're you're kind of saying, this is interesting, you're saying that, but Trump's, even with his missteps and uh, and with his uh, shaking up of things, both intentionally and unintentionally in D.C., it's like the Trump prophecy is coming true, (laughs) that this is what we should have expected all along, for good or for ill. Right. I mean, it's what he said he was going to do, which, you know, again, I, I was actually a um, Ted Cruz supporter. So well, I'm so, not, so was I, I for, for the record. So, yeah. Right. But well, it's just I find it funny to see that these politicians are running away. And it's, it's partially because, they, you know, he is doing some things that are a little bit concerning. But at the same time, he walked in saying, I'm going to change things. Things are going to change. And, you know, that's what we're seeing the product of, I think. Yeah, well, it's definitely uh, it's definitely disruptive, whether it's disruptive in the Silicon Valley sense or disruptive in a kid in the back of the class who is yelling and not letting the teacher do her job. You know, we'll see. <laughs> but it's disruptive. Chantel, thank you uh, very much. Uh, appreciate it. Um, you know, it's another another thought I have here uh, about all this stuff with the special counsel, not a special prosecutor, special counsel. Got to correct that from before when I said special prosecutor. Although all the well, not all, but a bunch of the major news sites and newspapers in the country were wrong with their terminology there, so I was I was I blame them. I'm reading I'm reading their headline, uh, but that this comes on the same day that you have the greatest pressure for impeachment or the greatest uh, number of people calling for impeachment against Trump. I find uh, I find worrisome. I find it uh, troublesome to say the least because. 
you have to think of it this way. You know, Michael Moore is out there right now uh, talking about how he's got a movie that's going to come out that's going to bring down the Trump presidency. Some people are going to say this is a good idea. Americans, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, whatever. Uh, Some are going to say this is a good idea because we need to reestablish support for institutions and we need to show that this is on the up and up. And this is about this is about the appearance of, of fairness. Right. Okay, that the special counsel is necessary for the appearance of fairness. But make no mistake about it for at least a contingent of the American left, and I would, I would argue the most powerful and influential ideological component of the American left, the decision to appoint a special counsel is encouragement to the Trump should be impeached, Trump is a traitor chorus. Whether that is, uh, you know, re- reflective of the reality or not doesn't really matter. To them, this just is another, this is like the Look at the list. Go down the list. Flynn's getting fired. Didn't do anything criminal, but, you know, lied to Pence. And, but they created the pressure around that situation. Flynn getting fired. Sessions recusing himself. Uh, other people that have been pushed out of the White House after public media pressure has been placed on them. Uh, so we have the, the, the Sessions recusal, Flynn's firing, and now you've got the appointment of special counsel, if we're going to be fair about this, if you're going to look at this from the perspective of the opposition here, of the super anti-Trumpers, this is this is very encouraging. I, I don't see a way around that. I don't see how we could honestly talk about this without at least acknowledging that uncomfortable truth here, uh, which is that those who forget about I, I understand there are people who are going to say, no, no, but we have to do this anyway. We have to make this look. We just had David French on. I try to give you all different at least conservative perspectives. When liberals want to call in and have a nice chat, we can do that another time. Uh, But, you know, David was saying, look, this is a good idea. I know a lot of people are going to say this is a good idea, but it is gasoline on the fire of those who are yelling about impeachment and treason and imprisoning and uh, all the rest of the stuff that you're hearing from the loony left. Um, They are going to be into this, no question. Um, I want to take a you if you want to call and talk about this by all means we'll take your call on it but I, I want to talk to you about something else coming up here steroid use yeah that's right stay with me he spreads freedom because freedom's not gonna spread itself Buck Sexton is back hey everybody I always promise you that we're gonna hit all kinds of topics on the show it's not gonna just be Trump 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 Russia Russia or any of the other stuff that's dominating the headlines And to that end, we've got Mike Riggs on the line. He's a reporter at Reason. You can read his pieces at Reason.com. I want to talk to him about his piece on steroids. It's titled, How Washington Lost the War on Muscle. Mike, great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Buck. All right, talk to me about about steroids, federal law, and where the— could we say there's a war on steroids? Where, Where is it all going right now? What's happening? Uh, it's, it's a weird war. Uh, so basically, uh, a quick refresher, uh, steroids uh, are, are basically, it's a large class of drugs that includes things like corticosteroids, which you might take for inflammation, uh, things like prednisone. It includes uh, oral contraceptives like female birth control, things based on estrogen and progestin. And then the one that everybody has always been kind of scared of or scared of for the last couple of decades are anabolic steroids, uh, which are steroids based on the male hormone testosterone. Uh, the, the, all these are discovered in the early 1900s, early 20th century, 
uh, and then they're all made illegal in the 1980s as a result of uh, scandals involving the Olympics. So Congress, uh, the president, the uh, not the DEA, surprisingly, but definitely Congress and the president declare that this is a, a, a crisis, that steroids are dangerous, that they make people act crazy and, and violent, and that they're only used by cheaters. Yeah, roid rage. Uh, I've, I've even heard of it. Roid, roid rage. rage. Yeah, yeah. It became like the new reefer madness. So Congress bans them. Uh, sporting bodies, both in the U.S. and, and globally, sort of uh, begin cracking down. And... Uh, the American perception of steroids, which is a thing that they've never really thought about because even though they were developed for therapeutic purposes as, as a form of medicine, uh, very few people use them. Uh, Americans, for the first time, are like, okay, these things exist and they're terrible. So put a pause on that. So we have this war on steroids. I'm kind of doing air quotes on my side of the phone. Uh, then starting in the mid-90s, another thing starts happening, which is that doctors, uh, mostly urologists, uh, begin administering testosterone uh, to patients, mostly older men, men in their 50s, 60s, sometimes a little younger, uh, who are lacking a little bit of pep in their step. Uh, patients who might otherwise be given something in later years like Viagra. And this separate sort of industry develops uh, for a thing called testosterone replacement therapy, hormone therapy, uh, low T. Um, your, your listeners may have seen ads for that in magazines or on television or heard them on the radio. And it explodes. It becomes huge. Uh, Andrew, uh, a, a company called V releases a, a product called Androgel in the early 2000s. It's a topical ointment that you can rub on your skin if you have low T, and it'll boost your testosterone level. It'll make you happier. It'll restore your sex drive, all this stuff. And over the course of the early 2000s up to the present moment, we see this weird bifurcation. On the one hand, we're told that anabolic steroids are this terrible thing, that they make people violent, that they get roid rage, that they're crazy, that the men will develop breasts, uh, and that their genitals will shrink. And at the same time, doctors are prescribing billions of dollars of worth of testosterone replacement therapy to millions of men. And the piece I wrote makes the case, and this is not really an, an argument, it's the truth, that these two things are essentially the same thing, that the difference between anabolic steroids and testosterone replacement therapy is a matter of language. What words do we use? A matter of context. Are you a professional athlete or are you a middle-class man who'd like that, you know, tap in your step if you look at the marketing language and, and dosage? And my piece also explores how... Just so everyone knows, we're talking to Mike Riggs here. He's a reporter at Reason. You can read his piece at Reason.com, how Washington lost the war on muscle dealing with the steroid debate and the legality of it. Um, Mike, the, the federal government, though, is is quite nasty to people who go outside. I mean, this is true of a lot of prescription uh, drugs um, or true of prescription drugs. But if you go outside official channels to get your steroids, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, no, this is true true for things like stimulants. If you, uh, you know, if you buy methamphetamines or you buy too much of uh, a drug made from pseudoephedrine like Broncade, uh, the federal government will come after you. If you go to a doctor and get a prescription for Adderall, you're in the clear. And we're kind of seeing the same thing with steroids. If you were to go, uh, you know, to a, a drug dealer at your gym or to use the internet to buy anabolic steroids, uh, you could find yourself you know, being arrested, charged, maybe going to prison if you had a lot of them. If you go to a doctor 
uh, you can get this stuff free and clear. Your doctor will write you a prescription. You can go to a pharmacy. A pharmacist will give you everything. Nobody will look uh, askance at you or judge you for this. And it's the same thing. And, and it's, I find it kind of interesting because, like Adderall, it's essentially legalization through medicalization. Congress never changed any laws. No ballot initiatives passed. But it's this weird avenue that we have in the American regulatory system where a thing that we have said is bad and that is, a, is, is bad for the public, bad for men, bad for kids, whatever, uh, suddenly becomes less bad if you get it from a doctor. And how has Washington lost the war on muscle, as you say in your piece here? Well, I think the, the best example of this is that doctors stepped in and said, we don't agree. We don't agree that this is as bad as people in the late 1980s said. Uh, we think that it can be used safely. We think that with doctor supervision, with regular blood tests, with prostate exams, with all these things, that you can, that a man, and in some cases women, and definitely you know, trans men, if you are born female and want to become a male, the only way to make that transition physical and real is to take anabolic steroids. And doctors stepped in where Congress would not and said, we think our patients should be allowed to do this, and we think that the patient-doctor relationship takes priority over fear Uh So it's, you know, I, I'm not sure how I feel about the, the wide proliferation of testosterone therapy. I think there's probably some, some practitioners and clinicians who are not doing it the right way. Yeah, I think a lot of guys in Hollywood that put on about 30 pounds of pure muscle for a roll, it's it's not just because they're doing so many burpees and eating a lot of chicken breast. I got I to gotta be honest. You know, that's a fantastic point, and I didn't get a chance to address this in my piece, but it is, I have, I have spoken to people off the record entirely because people are so terrified of being outed for this kind of thing. There are so many people... Uh, who make a living off of their bodies, whether they're actors or athletes or personal trainers, you know, you name it, across the board, reality television stars who rely on anabolic steroids to craft a body that then the rest of us want to pay for, right? And, uh, you know, there was a great documentary a few years ago called Bigger, Faster, Stronger that made this point really concisely. Nobody wants to see an action star who's not big and strong and muscular. Um, And the thing is, very few human beings can naturally attain that physique without the use of drugs. I mean, it is those those are those people are far and few between. Most super athletic-looking people um, are they're getting a little help. How, how does HGH, by the way, uh, what's the how does that factor into all this? So HGH is is another uh, anabolic compound. The word anabolic just means it causes growth. The opposite is catabolic, which is things like prednisone. But HGH helps with recovery. It helps with joint pain. Um, you know, it is in this class of drugs. Now, one of the advantages that maybe HGH has that other people don't is that in the other drugs don't is that in the late 1980s, nobody was talking about HGH as a drug that could potentially make you angry or that could cause uh, women to develop masculine features. So it doesn't have a lot of the baggage that testosterone and anabolic steroids do in part because it, it, it works differently in the body. But it's another thing. It is, it is a scheduled substance. It's regulated by the Controlled Substances Act. If you were to buy that or to sell that without a doctor's permission, uh, you could face prison time. But you can also just go to your doctor and say, you know, my metabolism isn't what it used to be. 
I used to be a pretty lean guy, and now I'm carrying, you know, 15 pounds on my spare tire. Help me out here. Um, and the doctor can prescribe you HGH. And, again, this is a very popular drug in Hollywood and also among the kind of life extension anti-aging crowd. Mike, what's your, what's your prognosis here? Uh, what do you think should happen in terms of government policy and Washington's war on muscle that you say it has lost? Uh, I mean, I, my basic position on, on most substances is uh, my body, my choice. And then the logical extension of that is that uh, prohibiting things that people want um, often causes worse externalities than letting people use those things themselves. Uh, but I think that the, probably the smartest thing for Washington to do for federal regulators would just be to acknowledge that uh, that testosterone should not be a scheduled substance any longer. If you want to keep a prescription, keep a prescription. If you if you still want to create some barriers for people to use it, that's fine. But the, the biggest consequence of keeping this this weird policy in place, in which we say it's illegal unless you go to a doctor is that it, it puts a weird pressure on doctors. Doctors who write prescriptions for testosterone have their, basically have their records monitored by the DEA. Uh, I think that, that puts some very strange pressure on doctors. And then for men who want this but don't have a, a doc who access to a doctor who believes in prescribing testosterone or is informed about it or, or whatever the case may be, uh, will resort to the black market where they're not only risking incarceration in an encounter with law enforcement, uh, but they're also with the potential of consuming some really dangerous, gross drugs from China or India or, or made by some crank in his basement. All right. Uh, so, well, so if, if I, if yeah. I uh, Mike, uh, we, we'd love to continue to talk about it. we, we got to run to a break, though. Um, but everyone can read this on Reason.com, right? How Washington lost the war on muscle? Yeah, that's it. Mike Riggs of Reason, everybody. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Buck. Team, we're going to hit a break, and uh, we'll be right back. Over the course of your life, you will find that things are not always fair. You will find that things happen to you that you do not deserve and that are not always warranted. But you have to put your head down and fight, fight, fight. Never, ever, ever give up. Things will work out just fine. Look at the way I've been treated lately, especially by the media. No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. You can't let them get you down. You can't let the critics and the naysayers get in the way of your dreams. I agree with the sentiments there of the president who was speaking earlier today at the uh, Coast Guard Academy commencement. Um, fight and endure, two themes from the first hour of the show. I totally agree. You have to fight and you have to endure because the other side fights back. <laughs> That's where the endurance part comes in, and you better be ready for it. I, I do think it's funny, and of course Trump's critics would point to his uh, referencing himself in that way in a speech to those who are in the Coast Guard Academy. But anyway, um, some some good points made in that uh, commencement speech. And um, also wanted to note that he talked about or mentioned his trip, uh, upcoming trip abroad, uh, where he will be meeting with, well, I'll let the president say it himself. I am heading on a very crucial journey as well. 
In a few days, I will make my first trip abroad as president. With the safety, security, and interests of the American people as my priority, I will strengthen all friendships and will seek new partners, but partners who also help us, not partners who take and take and take. Partners who help and partners who help pay for whatever we are doing and all of the good we're doing for them, which is something that a lot of people have not gotten used to and they just can't get used to it. I say, get used to it, folks. I'll ask them to unite for a future of peace and opposition for our peoples and the peoples of the world. So he's going on this trip. Oh, by the way, there's also this uh, there's this news item of how Trump is not going to announce, uh, I've been saying this throughout the day, not going to announce a move of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to uh, Jerusalem. There's all kinds of politics around that. We'll, we'll have a, a friend and an expert in Israeli Palestinian uh, conflict and politics joining us uh, early next week when Trump is actually in Israel to to talk about that specifically. Um, and there's also the, the Western Wall. Uh, someone on the Trump staff, I think, said the Western Wall was not part of Israel. That that's that's a problem. Uh, that's gonna get that's gonna get you in some trouble uh, with when you're the Trump team. Um, so there, that's gonna be happening. He's, he's traveling to Israel. But one item that I think is gonna be Interesting to see how it plays out. Well, there's a lot, obviously. It's Trump's first major uh, major trip abroad, or first trip abroad. Um, but here's what they're saying about what he's uh, planning to do. When President Trump arrives in Riyadh this week, he will lay out his vision for a new regional security architecture. White House officials call an Arab NATO to guide the fight against terrorism and push back against Iran. As a cornerstone of the plan, Trump will also announce one of the largest arms sales deals in history. Um, This is from the Washington Post. Behind the scenes, the Trump administration and Saudi Arabia have been conducting extensive negotiations led by White House senior advisor Jared Kushner and Saudi Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Um, So after years of disillusionment with the Obama administration, the Saudi leadership was eager to do business. They were willing to take a bet on Trump and on America, a senior White House official said. So it uh, looks like there'll be some very extensive diplomacy going on here with the Saudis, whom, yes, I know there's a lot we could talk about with how the Saudis cause. The Saudi regime is helpful to us and is a necessary. Now, the Saudis are the Sunni Arab power. They've really taken now, of course, well, there it was the case that our Sunni Arab cornerstone in the uh, for our policy in the Middle East was Egypt. Um, that's coming back to being true, but given all the tumult in Egypt with uh, Mubarak and uh, and the Muslim Brotherhood winning the election after that, and then El Sisi uh, taking control soon thereafter, uh, Egypt has not been quite as central to U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East as it had been for decades before that. Saudi Arabia is increasingly uh, the critical partner uh, has spent a lot of money on its military and of course it's the it's the major sunni arab power that is also right in the neighborhood of iran the iranians being the the shia uh, power in the shia muslim power in the middle east 
and we look at them as, well, the Saudis to counterbalance Iranian interests and expansionism. And that's why, as the Post reports here, uh, we're also going to be helping the Saudis out, not just with relations and chatting and friendships and such at the diplomatic level, but also the following. Quote, the most concrete part of the idea is a mammoth U.S. arms package for Saudi Arabia that Trump will also announce in Riyadh. Final details are still being worked out, but officials said the package will include between $98 billion and $128 billion in arms sales. Over 10 years, sales could reach $350 billion. The sales include huge upgrades for the Saudi Army and Navy to, inclu- to include literal combat ships, THAAD missile defense systems, armored personnel carriers, missiles, bombs, and munitions. Um, so, yeah, most of the items would be built by American defense contractors. So there you go. Buy American. Yay. Uh, the Saudis getting armed up is understandable from our perspective. It's a uh, there. It's a necessary counterbalance, as I was saying, to Iran, or at least we view it as a necessary counterbalance to Iran. Saudi stability right now is largely taken for granted. The regime stability, um, and the Saudis have even been interventionist, as we know from a, in, in recent conflicts, including their air campaign in Yemen, which has had a very unfortunate uh, civilian toll. Um, there, from what I've read in the various papers, far too many civilian casualties as a result of these Saudi airstrikes. But they've been using that military equipment that they that they buy, and they obviously hate the the Sunni Shia divide is best. Uh, well, the best exemplar of it is the Saudi Iranian rivalry in the Middle East now. Uh, so that will be a very important part of this trip. Um, Israel will be a very important part of the trip. And of course, I believe Trump is finishing up or he's, yeah, he's finishing up in Rome. Going to go hang out in Vatican City. Smallest technical country, sm- technically a country, smallest country in the world. Uh, less than a square mile. So there's that. Uh, oh, the Turkey melee. The, the, the turkey throwdown, uh, protests outside an embassy in D.C. Things got nasty. There's video. There are fly kicks. There are elbows. It's like a bar fight on the street with protesters and Erdogan's thugs. We'll get into that in just a minute. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We've got Dr. Jonathan Shanzer on the line. He's a senior vice president at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and uh, he also worked as a terrorism finance analyst at the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Dr. Shanzer, good to have you, sir. Thanks, Buck. So uh, I saw the video, and it doesn't translate well to radio, so I didn't play it because the audio is not really all that much, but the video is pretty astonishing. There was a protest uh, out in front of the Turkish embassy yesterday, and Erdogan's in town meeting with Trump. And Jonathan, tell everybody then what happens. Uh, all hell broke loose. Uh, this is actually a repeat performance of Erdogan's last visit when a fight broke out uh, outside of the Brookings Institution where Erdogan was speaking. What essentially happens here is that every time the Turkish president comes to the, to the U.S., his supporters, vigilantes, and even some of his own bodyguards and diplomats uh, uh, essentially start to sump skulls. Uh, they get out there and they start beating up on the Kurds and Yazidis and other minorities, uh, secular Turks that are protesting his heavy-handed policies. 
And uh, he effectively just reinforces the fact that he has these heavy handed policies, that he's a uh, he's an autocrat. And this is I mean, it's hard not to not to draw the uh, obvious inclusion here that this is on you. These are U.S. citizens, I'm assuming, on U.S. soil in Washington, D.C., in in Embassy Row, which is like a very fancy part of town. And they're getting beaten up by a bunch of foreign thugs. That's what's happening. On well, video. Uh, in some cases, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is remarkable. In some cases, uh, they're, they're being beaten up by, uh, by, by diplomats. In some cases, uh, they could be uh, people who come in uh, with Erdogan as advisors or bodyguards. Uh, I mean, it, it's really a remarkable show here. Uh, you know, and, and Erdogan continues to insist that he is not an autocrat, that he's an elected leader of a democratic country. But I think the uh, the facts say otherwise, and certainly the uh, behavior of his entourage say otherwise uh, twice now uh, during his recent visits to the U.S. And uh, if you could if you could guess, you know, forget about the the profanity, which I'm sure was exchanged in Turkish and Kurdish and in, in a number of languages, probably some probably some English thrown in there, too, because our curses are so fun to say. Uh, but why are they going after each other on the streets of Washington, D.C., with the D.C. police right in the middle of the melee pulling out batons? Well, I mean, yeah, one one thing that you probably need to understand is that this is not entirely abnormal. If you've ever watched sessions of the Turkish parliament, you'll see that the parliamentarians often go at it with one another, uh, that these sorts of fights are not totally uncommon over there. Uh, what, what's uncommon right now is that they're spilling over onto the streets of Washington. But, you know, when, when you look at the issues that are being raised, they are um, they, they are all rather nasty. I mean, it, it, it's a question of Erdogan's recent uh, victory in a referendum that solidified his power as president. And people are angry about that. They're angry about press freedom, uh, lack of freedom of judiciary. Uh, there's there are debates over uh, uh, Turkey's involvement in Syria and the war over there. All of these things are very contentious issues, and they uh, they erupt in violence, unfortunately, as these guys take to the streets. What should the U.S. relationship with Turkey, with Trump, as <laughs> and just despite what everyone's saying today, the press, strong, uh, Trump is still the president, uh, and Erdogan. Uh, as the premier in, in Turkey, as his counterpart, President Erdogan, what should the um, what should the relationship be like going forward? Well, I, there are a lot of critics of Erdogan uh, who are very disappointed to see that Trump met with him and gave him a certain degree of legitimacy. Uh, that said, uh, I think it was actually important to note that Trump, I think, did uh, some of the right things yesterday in his meeting. Uh, there is an American pastor that's being held against his will in Turkey. He's been under arrest since October. Trump, I believe, two or three times during his meeting with Erdogan, called upon the Turkish president to release him. So that's, I think that's an important element of that relationship. But then there are other things that I think are much more systemic that Trump needs to look at, and that is that Turkey's didn't become a supporter of terrorism. Uh, they are host to Hamas, the Palestinian terrorist organization, They've supported the Nusra Front, the al-Qaeda group in Syria. They've been involved in sanctions busting on behalf of Iran to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. All these things are not exactly the behaviors that you'd expect from a NATO ally. And uh, these are things that Obama never really called out Erdogan for doing. And, and I, you know, a lot of people expected that Trump 
was going to tell Erdogan that there are no more free rides, that this was a very Trumpian thing that we had heard throughout the campaign. That's not what he's doing yet. Now, the question is, is he going to get tougher on Erdogan, particularly if he doesn't release this pastor, and does he start to make demands of the Turkish president to get in line? It's unclear right now, much as I think uh, Trump foreign policy is on many issues, uh, but this is one that I think is incredibly important given Turkey's place in the world. Speaking to Dr. Jonathan Shanzer, Senior Vice President at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Uh, Dr. Shanzer, great to have you on. Thank you so much for making the time. We'll talk to you soon. Anytime. Team, uh, we are going to hit a quick break. We'll be right back. Some of you probably remember the Mizzou protests uh, from the university of, at the University of Missouri back in uh, 2015 into 2016. Uh, this was led by a group named uh, Concerned Student 1950, and there were some very well-known. In fact, there were some viral moments in this series of protests about uh, racism and white privilege and uh, social justice and and stuff. Uh, there were some viral moments that you may recall, including this one where a professor at the University of Missouri, this is back, uh, back in, like I said, 2015 into 2016, professor at the University of Missouri uh, went up to a, a student journalist who was just taking photos of an open space, and she was a professor of communications, and this is how she infamously responded on camera. Play it. Are you documenting? What are you I'm doing? documenting. Okay, well, you, just, you need to get out. You need forward. to get out. This is public property. Yeah, I know. That's a really good one. I'm a communication faculty, and I really get that argument. But so you need to go. You need to go. You need to go. So please respect these people. Okay, so you get you get the idea. She also, before that, she said, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, can someone help me get some muscle over here? Can someone help me get some muscle? I need to get this guy out. You know, there was this whole, I know she sounds like Hillary Clinton. Isn't that amazing how that happens, that she sounds kind of like Hillary? Uh, you need some, that's <laughs> even more, it's even more terrible. The Hillary voice is, is the professor, whatever her name is, voice. Uh, just Hillary's voice is even worse. That's how you differentiate between the two of them. Even more nails on a chalkboard sounding. Um, but so this all happened, and, and at Mizzou, uh, Mizzou, Mizzou, someone from Missouri is going to write me an angry email. I get this stuff. I get this stuff wrong. Um, what was the other? I kept saying, oh, Nevada during the primary, uh, and during the election season, I was fine. As so many New Yorkers say Nevada and I was corrected by enough Nevadians. Oh gosh. I just made it. I probably just made another boo boo. Um, n- n- but anyway, it's Nevada. I've, I've finally learned. Uh, and it's and it's New Orleans, although I'll never say it perfectly from what I'm told. It's not New Orleans, it's New Orleans. And I'm I sound like a Yankee saying it, but nonetheless, at least I'm getting close. So uh here's I don't know how did I even get on that little uh I have no idea. Oh yeah, Mizzou, because I th- feel like I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, but it's close. So this student group, uh Concerned Student nineteen fifty, they had Quite a list of demands. Now, this all came to, to set this up properly. And by the way, there is a news hook that I will get to here in a second, 
which is the aftermath of these social justice protests. We often see all of the video and the audio, the news stories about social justice movements on campus, uh, about protests on campus. Um, sometimes there'll be a, v- a viral video incident like the one I just played for you. Um, but I don't usually get an aftermath or a follow-up story. But with Mizzou, we've got a follow-up story. But you got to stay with me, and I'll tell you what, what it is. Uh, but first, just to set the scene again, so there were some incidents uh, alleged, uh, and, well, some of them had evidence, some of them were uh, allegations. And one, and the, I think the most well-known on on the University of Missouri campus was that a uh, a group of black students had a an unidentified person yell a racial slur while driving past them in a pickup truck. Uh, it, it was never even I, I believe it was never even alleged that the individual because they didn't know who it was was even a student. But somebody said something uh, racist. Somebody yelled out an epithet to these students, and I, I think that the uh, some of the student activists decided that the administration of the campus wasn't doing enough. To uh, well, here this is what on October twentieth, the group issued a list is from Bustle.com issued a list of demands to the university, besides calling for the president of the university to resign. By the way, he did. The group also urged him to issue a written apology to the demonstrators, one of the one of whom the group says he hit with his car to quote acknowledge his white male privilege and admit his gross negligence. The group also demanded that all future University of Missouri system presidents and chancellors be selected by a collective of students, staff, and faculty of diverse backgrounds. But of course, they also demanded a 10% increase in African-American faculty and staff by the 2017 academic year and a 10-year plan to increase the retention of minority students. I mean, a list of demands from these uh, students. This student group, I keep forgetting the name, a concerned student, 1950. Uh, and this got a lot of media attention. Now, uh, let's. the president did resign, by the way. Um, and this was a national news story for a few days. And that professor, I think, was fired and then did a series of, you know, interviews. She probably apologized, but said that, you know, it was good for raising awareness or fell into some uh, social justice uh, explanation for her actions or whatever. Remember, she was telling a journalist and and the other students that were there as well in that incident, the very famous viral incident, uh, were telling the student journalist that he wasn't allowed to be in an open public space taking photographs. And then they did this thing that I know activists sometimes will do where they will surround you physically so you are trapped and you feel claustrophobic and you can't go anywhere without bumping into them. And then they'll claim you're assaulting them. It's it's sort of a passive aggression taken to in in physical form because they are being aggressive but they're just doing it by surrounding you and then yelling in your face and then when you want to move they're blocking your pathway and they act like you're the problem right so they did that to the student as well in the video um but there there was this list of demands and this was uh, one of the the big battles and the way the media is one of the big battles in the social justice uh, social justice wars on campus or whatever, whatever we want to call it. Well, here's what ended up happening, um, which you you won't hear much about. Media not as interested in telling the uh, because 
you've got to assume that when I didn't I didn't know that it, what Mizzou was. I mean, I know there's a University of Missouri. I would have assumed there was, but I, I didn't know anything about the school until this. This was the first time I'd ever heard of Mizzou. Oh, the uh, the football team threatened to boycott. By the way, there was a uh, hunger strike. At least one hunger strike student. Uh, and there were obviously lots of protests, and, and then there was the list of demands. Uh, well, if you were to now check out what's been going on, uh, you'd find out that enrollment has dropped uh, substantially at the University of Missouri. Donations, to the, particularly to the athletic department, have plummeted. And the school is now suffering, which brings me to our, our news item for the day here. Uh, this is from uh, our friends at HeatStreet.com. As Mizzou enrollment plummets, Jillian K. Melchior with the uh, with the byline here. As Mizzou enrollment plummets, landlords offer $1,000 gift cards and big rent reductions to lure students. Uh, so this is now affecting the local economy, not even just the school itself. The freshman class is the smallest in 20 years at the University of Missouri. Um that and here we go. The Devil's Lake Journal uh, reported that Mizzou athletics had seen its fans dwindle. Attendance for football was down almost 13,000 people per game from 2015. The men's basketball team filled, on average, only 9,930 of Mizzou Arena's 15,000 seats. So. This is uh, this is a, a circumstance where you see there was this big all this surge in social justice activism and protests and demands and uh, claims that this was necessary for you know racial uh, racial healing and and I don't know progress and collectivism and whatever whatever it hurt the school you know it's one thing when you got crazy stuff going on at Yale and I'll probably talk to you about some crazy Yale stuff tomorrow or the next day. But when you're, uh, you know, University of Missouri, which I'm sure is a fine place, but, you know, it's not Yale. Uh, and a lot and at a national level, because so much of the schools that we attend now, it, it's about branding and brand value and the name and the degree, which is also why I think that schools that the four year program that we all have to go through now to get a bachelor's degree. If one, it's too long, it's too expensive, and it's also, it's getting more expensive and becoming less valuable. That's a very disconcerting reality, but that's what is happening, um, that your bachelor's degree is pricier. In fact, it's 200, I, this is another news story from today, it's 200% of what it cost, I think, 20 years ago. A bachelor's degree now is like, it's, so it's 2x what it used to be, twice as expensive. And because more and more people have them now because the federal government is providing loans and just saying, sure, we'll give you loans to go to college. Uh, and we've got a trillion dollar student loan debt as as a result. Um, your degree is also worth less. But I digress. Uh, Mizzou, University of Missouri, is not, you know, nationally, uh, nationally considered elite. Um, it's a state school. So and I know some state schools, some, some people right now from like the University of Virginia are like, you know, shake, shaking their fist in the air and yelling at me. I, I know there are state schools that are also very prestigious and I don't even really care. It doesn't matter. It, but it's not Yale. Right. It's not a school that people will go to no matter what. If the primary reason people know about the school is that there are demands, the university president or chancellor or whatever they call him uh, has to resign. And it seems like the school will bend over backwards uh, at the expense even of other students' rights in order to placate a a discontented, 
group within the school for whatever reason. Um, this is not a good look, as they say. Uh, this is not a good reputational uh, moment for the school. And there have been real consequences, as I said. Now, enrollment's down, funding is down, and it's hard for even local landlords to find students to to fill their, their properties uh, because there are fewer students that want to go there. So I just think it's an important reminder that all this social justice stuff, they tell us it's about raising awareness, and no matter how crazy it gets, it's all for the cause. There can be real consequences, including real consequences for institutions that try to placate and work with and appeal to these uh, leftist SJW protests on the campuses. Uh, that does not exempt you from the public backlash of, well, you know, voting with their dollars in the sense that they, they don't want to they don't want to necessarily go to a place that has this tumult and also to an administration that doesn't seem like it has much of a backbone in dealing with students. Um, but all right, well, that's just the update on that. Uh, please do check out BuckSexton.com. I have a piece there on the Trump treason delusion that I uh, really hope you will uh, give a quick read to. Um, also, go to iTunes. Buck Sexton with America Now is available as a free download. Please do subscribe. Always available for your listening pleasure on the iHeart app as well. Um, just type in Buck Saxon with America now. Until tomorrow, my friends, shields high.